Club, the triathlon edition. I am really, really excited today because this is our first um, kind of celebrity guest that we get to have. And we have our two triathlon coaches here beside me, which is even better. So we have a great discussion ahead. Um, so joining me, of course, is um, Jenny Harrison and Liz Waterstrat, our awesome triathlon coaches who guide everybody in the sprint um, Olympic half Ironman and Ironman plans in our page. And today we're going to be joined um, in a little bit by Sheila Tarmina, who is an Olympic, former Olympic swimmer, as well as an Olympic triathlete and Olympic modern pentathlete. There's pretty much no sport this woman hasn't done. So she was in the 1996 Olympics um, for swimming and then 2000 and 2004 for triathlon. Jen, do you remember seeing her compete um, back in the day? I do remember seeing her compete and she was, she was just a powerhouse. I mean, I don't think of another way to describe Sheila. Of course, I didn't know her personally. Um, but she was just a powerhouse. She was one of those really scrappy, hardworking, um, you know, just kind of fought. And like, in how she's going to talk a little bit about probably during the podcast, she would just go out as hard as she possibly could on a swim, and whoever would come with her would come, and she would just destroy herself. She just had this amazing ability to um, suffer. Yeah, yeah. And what about you? Did you have any experience with her, uh, Liz? You know, when I first started the sport back in 2000, I did a lot of racing in Michigan, being from Chicago, and Sheila was from Michigan. So she was in that scene, or her name was very well known around here. And I'll never forget when I was looking for a coach, uh, I think I went to the USAT website and they had the phone numbers of coaches all <laughs> around the country. And I noticed that there was one in Michigan and his name was Lou Kidder. And so I called him up and I said, I'm, I'm looking for a coach and, and I need to know what to do. And he said, Liz, all I can tell you is that training isn't rocket science. You apply a little stress, you rest, and then you apply a little more stress. And then he started talking about his experience with Sheila because he was very proud of the work he had done with her. And, and he was just sort of a, I think, a grassroots coach at the time. And he had taken this, this woman, and hopefully Sheila will get into her story, but taken this woman all the way from beginner um, up to the Olympics. So, so that was my uh, kind of introduction or knowledge of Sheila. Did you end up using, did you, did you hire Lou? No, I actually hired this coach named Jen Harrison. I'm not sure if oh, you knew her. I haven't actually. Were, were you on the Lou, Lou Kidder, Jen Harrison, Olympics, <laughs> Northern Illinois. I'm not, but oh, no. <laughs> maybe it was a price point thing. <laughs> that is so funny. How long have you guys been, co how long have you been coaching her, Jen? Or do, and do you still coach? Oh, oh, oh boy. We got first three. Yeah, go yeah, ahead, Elizabeth. It, Jennifer coached me probably for, for seven years and, and coached me from beginner to pro. She's an amazing coach. And then I went off to have children. Um, but now in full circle, um, I now coach her. Oh, she's so lucky. So, she's so lucky. It's, I've been waiting for this my whole, my whole athletic career. I've waited wow. for this. Wow. But yeah, for the past few years. Uh, we yeah. make a good team just simply because we understand each other. Um, we're very similar. Um, but you know, we also know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So that, yeah. that so, so what's, out. what's Jen working on these days? Like when, you know, what is, what, what's a weakness you need to better at? Um, this you know me. what Jen has really, I don't know. Joe, you don't have to put this in. You can edit this out. Um, I think Jen is yes, coming. Yes, what is Jen? Yes, Liz, I want to do this too. <laughs> she, she is coming to terms with her being over 40 now. 
and I say that in a really nice way. Um, you know, Jennifer is very hard charge, go, 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 go. And I think for the first few years in her 40s, she still had that go, go, go spirit. But, but you know, I'm not sure that her body kept up. But now I think she's really become in tune with, okay, this is what I need to do now that I'm getting older. And she's been able to compete, uh, I mean, at a very high level for a very long time um, and, and still is out there winning races. And, and I think it's because she really, she knows her strengths, but also knows that as she gets older, you know, it needs to change a little bit. And she's doing a good job of keeping up with that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, because, and, and we'll get to Sheila in one second, but Jen, you just, uh, tell us, did you just race 70.3 Madison, right? I did. Yeah, I did. I raced 70.3 Madison and I did. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm managing the age stuff. Well, I'm 47 for people who are wondering how old I am. Um, but the thing is I didn't come to the sport at 40. I came into the sport in my twenties. Plus I was an athlete my whole life. So I just have all these miles underneath me. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is just be better at all the recovery stuff. But yeah, and I sometimes I don't make good choices, but 99% of the time I do. Um, and it's all really, to be honest with you, and for the listeners, it's all about sleep um, and not being so strict. I'll never forget, here's a great story, how strict I was when I was in my early 30s. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm competing any better at, you know, age grade. I'm not, it's like, oh, I'm so much, obviously I'm not faster anymore, but it's not like, if I won 30 to 34, it's not like I'm not winning 45, 49. So it's eight, sometimes. So it just, what I'm trying to say is when I was in my thirties, I was so strict. And I remember I had little kids and I went to the park and we had a picnic and I was racing Eagle Man, which was my favorite 70.3 back in the day. And my snack during the kids picnic was a mini Tootsie Roll. So let's just talk about that. It's like this big, right? That was my snack for the entire day. Now I want you to know that I ate about 12 donuts last week. Not really, but kind of. So I've totally changed. I'm just not as strict with myself as I get older because I just can't do that anymore. And it's really not that as important to me. And I might be four pounds or five pounds heavier than I should be, but whatever. So, you know, um, it's, it's much more fun, right? Enjoy the donut. And it you still, is. I mean, it didn't is. You, get, you, get, you got like eighth overall or something at, in Madison. What'd you, what'd you do? So I was ninth. third, yeah, third in my age group. And I think ninth or so overall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, that doesn't suck. And, and, and you got to eat 12 donuts on top of that. So I did. I'm saying that's two wins back to back. I did. And, and thank you. That's kind. And, and so I just think the point of it is, is that, you know, you just have to be really smart. And I think we don't spend enough time talking about recovery and doing all the recovery stuff. And I'm very lucky too. Let's, let's be honest. And this is important for the moms that are listening to, to understand there is a light at the end of the tunnel. In my 30s, I could not recover like I do now. I was running around. I, I, I couldn't keep the weight on. I was exhausted. I wasn't sleeping. I was crazy. I mean, my kid, I, you know, I have 16 year old twins. I mean, they're not really, yeah, I'm running. I took Morgan to get a shot today and all that. But at the end of the day, uh, they didn't even wake up. They didn't get out of bed till 10 this morning. I'm like, come on kids, get your butt out of bed. So <laughs> my life is very different, but I, but I understand and appreciate that difference. And I think it's, I think that's really critical. You know, I don't take it for granted. I love it. I love that perspective. Thank you guys for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your stories. And let's welcome on Sheila. Sheila Tarmina has competed in four Olympics in three sports, swimming, triathlon, and modern pentathlon. She's an Olympic gold medalist in swimming and the 2004 International ITU World Champion. Her book is Swim Speed Secrets, Master the Freestyle Technique Used by the World's Fastest Swimmers, and it's just out in the second edition, which is huge. Congratulations, Sheila, on a book. We know how much work that can be. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. Um, so your book, Swim Speed Secret, it, 
it is a dense book. You are a true scientist of the sport of swimming. Um, tell us a little bit about your perspective and the process that you go through as you deconstruct the swimming strokes. Well, I wouldn't call myself a scientist, uh, you know, in, in terms of a real scientist. I am fascinated by the science of swimming. And um, I tell people I'm a little bit of a geek because I love to read all the articles, but I have to read each sentence about four times, you know, when a, re when a real scientist writes something. And uh, then I have to look up a lot of things and ask people. And then I do try to destruct uh, or deconstruct the, those complex concepts so that swimmers who are interested in the sport can. Um, understand the science in, in a way that they can actually apply at practice. So that's my real passion is uh, my editor always says it. She says, you know, you need to do the heavy lifting for the reader and you need to distill um, the information. And so even though my books appear a little bit uh, dense, there are lots of photos in them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I didn't mean that. In, I did not mean that in a critical way. I just, I mean, it is very, very detailed, which I really appreciate, but it is, I mean, I know how much work it is to put that, all that information into layman's terms. I mean, having written a thousand exercise captions in my life and telling people where to put their elbow and that kind of thing, it's, yeah. it's, it's harder than it looks sometimes. It really is. And I, I will go to a pool and when I'm on a certain part of the stroke that I'm trying to describe, I will stay in that pool for an hour. If anybody was observing me, they probably thought I was the strangest person on the planet because I'll... You know, repeat just one portion of one part of the stroke over and over and think, how would you put this into words? And then I'll ask people. And yeah, but I do love it. And for some reason, it's my passion. So I hope it does help swimmers in triathlon. That's great. Sheila, one of the things in, that you say in the introduction is that um, every single time you go into the pool and you're working on technique, you need to understand what you're doing at every single moment. Um, one of the challenges I think we find with mostly beginner swimmers is they really just don't have a lot of body awareness. They don't have a, uh, they don't have a good handle on what they're doing right and wrong in the swimming pool. How do, you, how do you help those kind of swimmers or what's your advice to that? More beginner-ish. Right. Yeah. And, and you have to know, I don't coach beginners, about, you know, and I didn't write the book necessarily for beginners, although I think it can help beginners, because I think even the more complex parts of the stroke are something we can work on uh, right off the bat and, and not necessarily in, in the full stroke mode, but with particular drills or the out of water um, exercise, you know, dry land exercises. So my whole theory on what you just asked comes more from that concept of purposeful and deliberate learning that um, people who are wanting to master some type of activity. And, and when I say master, I don't mean someone's trying to, like a 45-year-old woman or guy is, I don't, I don't mean they're trying to go to the Olympics. I mean, they just want to be the best that their body can give them and, and know what goes into this um, sport. And so um, what I mean by uh, no, be thinking of something all the time is, let's say you have a 500 yard set with a beginner. Let's say you're doing 10 times 50 with them. You can just take one part of the stroke and, and I don't care if it's the overwater part or the underwater pull or core movement and give them a focal point and say, hey, forget the other uh, 12 or 15 details that eventually we're going to cover. But today we're just going to really focus on one part of one, one piece of the stroke here. And then you can leave this session knowing how you just got one step closer to your goal or um, to mastering this sport. So that's how I always approached it going to the Olympics was, can I leave every workout being able to verbally articulate 
how I just got better. So I mean it more in that sense. And, and I do know it's overwhelming for people. And, and that's why I think this even helps a little more uh, because when you can just break it down as a coach helping an athlete break it down into one small thing, then it does, then we don't look at that whole mountain. We're just taking it one step at a time. So that's more what I mean by that, I guess. And that makes sense. Cause I think one of the challenges swimmers have, and when I say beginner, I kind of think more in the triathlon world. So I should have clarified that instead of a beginner swimmer, but because the audience that will be listening to this tends to be a little bit more beginnerish to a little bit of intermediate triathlon. Um, and teaching, te not teaching, but refining people's swim stroke is really challenging because most of the swimmers tend to not be able to, they get overwhelmed and then they get frustrated. I mean, just this morning I was talking to somebody who was basically in tears and she's like, I can't do it anymore. So when you, when you are working with a, a swimmer, do you tend just, like you said, give them two or, two or three things that you focus on and then move on and then, you know what I mean? And go back and revisit that. So you don't like, if I watched you swim, I would say, oh, Sheila, here's five things you're doing right and wrong, and it's just too much? Yeah, and, you know, every coach will use their his or her discretion for the individual they're working with, or if you have a group, that, that makes it more challenging sometimes. But this is where the personality of the coach becomes really important. And in my books, I do try to have my personality come out and, and say, I understand the frustration whenever we're trying to learn the complex tasks there are going to be days where you want to walk away. And I certainly, especially females, if we're all hormonal, <laughs> you know, I've, I've walked off the quite a few times and I always had male coaches and they're always so cute. Sometimes they'd say, okay, you know, I'll see you. See you tomorrow. <laughs> you get a pass today. Yeah, no, your, your personality comes through the book for sure. And I, I like, I really appreciated that as I was reading through some of the drills and stuff, you would throw in like a little, you know, side note about your mom or, you know, drinking coffee or whatever. And that was, that's, that's appreciated because you do, you have to remember that. Yeah, we're not, we're not in it to, to hit the Olympics. We're just trying to be as, you know, as smart and, um, you know, maximize our potential in the pool. Right? Yeah. And I do try to remind people that this is supposed to be a healthy stress. You know, we all have enough yeah. stress in our lives that we can't avoid, you know, from, you know, obligations at work and finances and things like that. So when we go to the pool, we have to always say, okay, you know, I'm going to keep it in that perspective so that I um, get the healthy aspect out of this. And it's good to stress your body and challenge it and be like, wow, I'm not, I'm not getting this part of the stroke. So um, like as an example, when I do a clinic, I might work on a part of the stroke that's a little bit complicated. And uh, one of the 25s, somebody in the group might get it right off the bat and, and they might look great. And I'll say, wow, Joe, you just nailed it. And uh, then somebody else might not have gotten it. And I'm like, okay, you know, Rick, you have to still do this or that with it. So let's do another 25. Well, Rick might still not get it. And um, th the thing I tell him when I see him start to get frustrated is, hey, you didn't get it that time either. But one thing I do know is that if I don't give up on you as a coach and you don't give up on yourself as an athlete, you are going to get it. It, it might be uh, today. It, you know, it might be our fifth 25 that we do today. It, it might be tomorrow. Um, it might be a month from now. Like, you know, I don't always see the people, obviously, for a month straight. But... I say the, the key to perseverance in sports is that we don't give up because as a coach, I know that this is not a 
uh, impossible move that only gifted people possess. You know, it, it's just as a coach, I have to come up with ways to think of, okay, he didn't get it on this and, and why, and let, let's go at it from this angle. So sometimes it does take time and that's what we should, I guess, um, just remind ourselves of all the time. So we don't all want to just run <laughs> off the pool deck. But there, there are times, believe me, where I've, I've been like, Oh my God, I'm the worst coach ever. I just got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, Liz, do you have a question for her? Well, that's just kind of come out uh, in the last two years in my own, um, when I try to process everything I see. And, and one of the, all these years since I've especially retired from competing uh, myself is I really want to figure out how are we going to get people who have not quite, you know, gravitate, gotten to sport down pat yet. What are we missing? Uh, it's got to be something from the coaching side of things. And so I've really been looking into that. And I, I just probably could answer your question for the first time. This might be the first interview ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I call it a deal breaker. Uh, we could do all, if you don't have this one thing, then, then even great mechanics could, could be diminished significantly or great body core movement could be diminished. And the deal breaker that we all should as coaches have on our tips of our tongues and athletes in our mind is hand speed change in the water. And when an athlete is going through the, the pole, whether it's the overwater portion or the underwater propulsive part of it, hand speed is, is not one constant speed. It, there's moments that it decelerates and moments that it accelerates. And I write about that a little bit in the uh, new book and I definitely coach it at my clinics now. And so um, I would say learning how to accelerate at the right moments and control hand speed at other moments is the biggest thing. And uh, a lot of triathletes, especially, and master swimmers, even and, and young age group swimmers, they will rush the stroke. Um, you know, and we have to, we have, they're like thoroughbred horses that I have to half halt at certain parts. Of the <laughs> and so um, th that's something that I'm always reminding people like, wow, your mechanics were great, but you just rushed the front part so much that you couldn't reap the benefit at the back half. Um, so yeah, I, I love to teach coaches now how to identify and see uh, hand speed change in the water, and then they can constantly remind their athletes of that. Is there a, um, and I'm sure it's a very, you know, I would say obviously seeing it in person is going to help a ton and it's hard to do this because this is, we're just in people's ears right now, but is there like a basic primer um, that you tell people like over the phone or, you know, you walk through people that you're not necessarily coaching on deck? what to do with a hand speed? No, I really just do that in person at the clinics. If it's okay. individual, I, I try and convey it in the book, but even in the book, you can't, you know, pictures can't show the hand speed changing. So I talk yeah. about it a bit and then in the drills, we reinforce how you can drill the, the change of hand speed. So hopefully that comes through to a certain degree, but every clinic I've ever done, people say, wow, you know, having this done in person really helps the concepts of the book come to life. I understand them so much more. So. Sure. Sure. 
Um, so, um, so like when, when you are in the pool by yourself and, and maybe let's, you know, let's flash back to when you were, um, you know, at the height of your career for Olympic swimming, I mean, were you, I love that you said that, that you tried to finish every workout and have a point to it, like realize that you got better at X, Y, or Z. Like, was it hard for you to stay present, you know, over, you know, 3000 meters, 4000 meters, 5000 meters, you know, twice a day, like, you know, kind of talk us how talk us through how you kind of stay in that headspace and make sure that you do not just zone out. For, yeah, for some reason, I loved um, the, the mechanics, the technique. And so I didn't have a problem zoning out. And I, I guess, and, and I didn't have a coach who particularly put that into my brain. It was something I just studied on my own. And Mm-hmm. So um, there's so many things that can just keep you engaged. And it's not always just about the technique of the stroke. Sometimes it's about uh, the tempo or just about how, how much tension I might have in my muscles. Or uh, like if I'm running, let's say, it could just be about posture and, and like your serratus anterior muscles, just lifting your rib cage, uh, feeling your respiration. I think I always had my mind on something to do with the physical body moving through the water or running. And uh, I guess that might be one of my gifts, like the natural gifts, because there's many other areas I don't have natural gifts. I work sure, sure. hard at it. So I think in my books, I try to, that, that thing that I know was my natural gift that I loved, I try to share that, as, get it out of my brain and into the books as much as possible. So maybe other people would find that same fascination in the sport. Um, and so maybe a one hour swim workout goes by, it seems like it it flew by in like five minutes for them because they're engaged. That's my hope. They love swimming because I know so many people are frustrated with swimming. They're not seeing the improvements and they just go because they have to go do it. And, you know, I I do want to change that hopefully uh, as much as I can, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so, um, so a question, another question for you. I mean, you put, you talked about this in the book and I think that I'm sure Jenny and Liz see it all the time. And if you guys have anything you want to add to this, her answer, I hear it because you said, you know, I, I see triathletes a lot and say, you know, they swim, a uh, one one forty five warm up, right. You know, they're swimming like on the 100 meters or swimming a one forty five, and then they go do one hundreds on the one fifty. <laughs> you know, and it's like this exact same tempo speed the whole time. I mean, talk a little bit about um, if you are interested in getting faster in the pool and in the open water, why that isn't necessarily the best way to um, to approach your workout, and then also what you can do to find different gears and speeds. Yeah, and that's all very new in the second edition of Swim Speed Secrets as well. The talking about the gear system, I just created a gear system one through seven. And with triathletes, I really enjoy explaining this because swim, the way you get faster in swimming, and, and when I say the way you get faster, I'm talking about like in a workout if you're doing warm up pace versus if you're doing you know some type of threshold pace, um, you know, is totally different than in running. The, the, the two there's two factors in running and swimming that, that both impact our time. And one of the factors is stroke length. Okay. Like, like how much distance per stroke do you get when you take a stroke or how many, you know, people know this as counting their strokes Um, and running. That's the equivalent of that is stride length. You know, how long is your stride? Okay. So that's one factor, stroke length, stride length. The other factor is your tempo or your rate of turnover. In other words, how quickly are you taking those strokes or, or how quick is your running tempo? Well, in swimming, the way we get faster is we 
we, we change our tempo. Tempo changes dramatically. Stroke length in swimming pretty much stays the same. It will change a little, little bit, but it, for the most part stays the same whether you're swimming an easy pace for warm-up or whether you're sprinting, you know, 50. Um, the, the thing that's so dramatically different when, between easy swimming and sprint swimming is your rate of turnover, how quickly you're taking those strokes. Now, running is just the opposite. If I go out for an easy jog, I'm not going to, like, take a stride then take another stride and take a really slow <laughs> tempo stride. I'm going to have this tempo, 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 but my, my stride length is going to, when I'm going easy and running, my stride length is going to be very, very short, you know, like little short steps. And then when I want to pick up my running speed, you know, I'm going to just lengthen my stride length. So the two, the two sports are quite opposite in how you change speed within a workout. And triathletes, so they're like a light bulb goes off when they hear that. And so what I say in the new book and when I coach in my clinics is your stroke length, so, so now we'll just go back to swimming here, stroke length is your sure. foundation. I mean, that, that we have to establish it. We, we establish the good distance per stroke by working on mechanics and that hand speed change. And, you know, that kind of thing and um, make sure that we've got you doing things properly. Then as we see that you're doing pretty good with that, now um, let's try it at a little quicker gear and, and see how your, how your stroke count holds up there. So, um, yeah, I, I think just I try to give like the umbrella concepts for people to understand. And then we, we coach into the details of that and they start to see it in action and uh, the light bulbs go off with most people. <laughs> so. Sure, sure. That's true. <laughs> Sheila, one of the things um, that triathletes tend to use is cru in crutches, or crutches, is crutch, is the, all the paddles and the kickboards and all the swimming tools. What are your thoughts to, to the audience that's listening here, more beginner to intermediate triathletes? What are your thoughts on some of the um, pool toys? And do you like some of them? Do you, some you wish they never invented? Talk to, talk to us a little bit about that. <laughs> I like them all. I've never met one I didn't like. I wish they hadn't invented. But uh, for beginners, sometimes I do think we overuse them just as a, as a crutch, like you mentioned. Uh, like today I did a swim um, and I used I, parts of the workout. I had paddles on. I had pool boy. I had my kickboard. I used fins. Uh, and I'm a big fan of snorkels. So I'm a fan of all of that. And once again, I guess it goes back to one of our first uh, questions we talked about was that purposeful and deliberate learning. We should know why we're using each one. Mm -hmm. um, so when I put on like the paddles and the pull boy today, my goal in that set, and, and by the way, I have no like racing goals. I'm not trying to be fast. I'm, I'm trying to get my jeans over my thighs now and <laughs> make it so my arms don't feel like noodles any, you know, now that I don't train or compete. But, um, my goal was, okay, I feel like my heart rate just, I don't, I don't want to push hard on my heart rate. And rarely do I even want to do that at all anymore. But I do want the tone from swimming. And a paddle has more surface area to it. So if the concept of swimming is that we take this mass of water that's on our limb, whether that's on our hand or our foot, and we're working that mass of water back and accelerating it back, um, I love paddles because that's a bigger mass of water that my arm muscles and, and my attachments where my shoulder is, you know, have to stabilize there to be, to be able to accelerate that water back. So I get more of a strength workout. 
in, let's say. So sometimes people will put on the fins or the paddles so they can keep up with people in their lane. And that I say, well, you know, I understand that. Um, but try to really get down to the mechanics of the stroke and you know, do those properly. And then once you feel like that athlete knows those mechanics and um, then put on the toys to make things interesting or to build strength in a certain area and stuff like that. Because swimming can get so boring if you never use any of those toys. They're all great. I have a big bag with all of it. <laughs> yeah, I like the toys too. I, I, I think a lot of us do. But I, like to your point, to your point, I think sometimes, you know, you'll go to master swimming practices or, and the people just in order to keep up will put fins on for the whole practice. It's okay if you're going to put fins on for three by 200s to keep up. So my whole thing to these athletes is like, switch your lane because you're not getting any benefit for the whole practice. So I think that was the point of my question and you answered it perfectly. It's just, they, they serve a purpose, but don't let them be a crux. I, I agree with you 100%. And one thing, all, once again, I talk in these umbrella concepts sometimes, I feel like triathletes are in some degree losing heart, like about, oh, okay, we just didn't grow up swimming and we don't have a feel for the water, you know, and I'll never get it. And I say, no, no, you will, you will. We just yeah. have to go about this in a little different approach than what we've been doing, which is throw the fins on and try and keep up for the whole workout. Let's really understand the sport and chip away at it. And I think we, I, I'm quite certain, I mean, that's why I went into pentathlon to try to see, can a, an adult, you know, I was, I think, 36 when I started, can you learn new sports? Um, what, what is in, involved in picking up a sport you've never done before and psychologically how difficult that is and, um, you know, time-wise and money-wise, all that. It is quite a challenge, but I am 100% convinced it can be done. And I think I, wanna, I want the coaching community to believe that and the athletes in the community to believe that. So, Very good, yes. Liz, are you, <laughs> you have our script? I know you are. Um, so do you want to ask a question? I, I just don't want you to feel left out. I know you're probably just listening and getting some great information. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of tubing. Um, I, I mean, bands, tubing, cords, you can call it all that. Um, you know, the I call it tubing because I always have. And I started it when I was 15 years old. I don't know. I can't remember a coach telling me to do it. My parents didn't know the first thing about swimming, so they never told me about it. But I had a set hooked up to my doorknob in, in my bedroom, in my closet. And every night before I went to bed, I would do three times 50 pulls on that tubing. And like I said, I don't know why. I'm just a huge geek. <laughs> no one had to tell me to do it. So um, I, then I continued it all through uh, the four Olympics that I competed in. It was a very, very important part of my training. And I'll tell you why it was an important part, why I think it was. But, but um, also before that, I like to say to people, I think – I was a contender to make the Olympic team. Each time I, I tried out for the Olympics, I was one of those girls who had a chance at making it. And I honestly, this is in all honesty, I believe I made that Olympic team, just squeaked on because I did the tubing. 
I was a contender who made it. I truly feel had I not done the tubing and added that to my program, I would have been a contender who just missed making the Olympic team. So I look at the tubing as sort of a, a competitive edge for you. It, it, and um, if you're a serious, serious athlete and you want the competitive edge, it, it builds up um, the muscle tone and the endurance that we need for swimming. Uh, in, in the swim-specific pattern, too. So we, we can use it in a number of different ways, but let's first just talk about a swimmer who's uh, been swimming for a while and they're, they're doing quite well. Maybe they're looking to make the U.S. national team or an NCAA cut. Um, swimming is a sport where you don't have to be able to lift, you know, uh, curl a 50-pound barbells. You, what you need in swimming is this muscle endurance. Uh, I heard one Olympic coach say, never do you really need to carry more than 20 pounds of tension in your muscles. So if you think about just holding a 20 pound weight and you never need your muscles to have more tension than that amount of tension. But the thing is you need to repeat, hold that amount of tension during the duration of practices and, and racing and whatnot. So, so we, we want to, we want to build that unique kind of muscle tone and endurance. And so I think tubing's amazing for that. Um, and I could also, as an elite swimmer, dial in my rate of turnover. So when we talked about, okay, swimmers have to do a certain rate of turnover. And for my 200 freestyle in the swimming in the Olympics where I swam, I knew I needed a 1.25 seconds per stroke cycle. So I could actually train with tubing um, and say, okay, I'm going to pull at 1.25 seconds um, for a two minutes repeat here and really sear that into my muscles uh, so that I can hold that rate of turnover for two minutes, which my race was is going to take. And so I would I would do like seven times two minutes, dialing in my rate of turnover. Um, so that's for an experienced swimmer. Now for a beginner, you could use it to build the muscle tone and endurance, but also to teach the path, the, the unique uh, motions that we have to do uh, underwater with the pole. So it's great for mechanics. Um, and then also if you have a triathlete or an adult master swimmer, um, they don't, they can't always make it to the pool. You know, they, they're going to have kids and work get in the way. And yes, so in that case, it absolutely can substitute for a swim workout. And if they can't make it to the pool, they could do a 15 minute workout at home and that'll kick their butt. I mean, it kicks my butt a 15 minute workout, but most, most beneficial is if you can get to the pool and then do a little tubing workout for 10 minutes after that, or, or at some point before it, whenever. Um, you know, have it as a supplement, that's most beneficial, but it definitely can be a substitute. Or if you travel. Do you still, sorry. do you still do the tubing? I do. Now? I do. Absolutely. You do? You're not sick of it after starting at age 15, no, huh? I'm not, no, I'm not sick of it. Like, and, and partly, I mean, it is such a quick and easy thing that makes me feel like I've kept my swimming tone. So if I don't, like, I'll go for a week or 10 days. I don't get in the pool at all. And uh, I don't want to lose that swimmer's kind of tone and strength. Um, so I'll do the tubing for 10 minutes and be like, okay, at least I did something. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Sheila, if you had to pick um, two or three drills that you would recommend triathlete swimmers to do, what would they be? Because there's so many drills out there, and I feel like people do drills just to say they do drills without really the purpose of behind them. You know, we all can do the standard fist drill and all that, but you know, do you have two big, the biggest bang for your buck drills that you would recommend to the listeners? Uh, in the new edition of the book, I, I put in uh, eight drills and I love all eight. So you're putting me in a hard position to pick two of my favorites for, <laughs> for triathletes, right? 
So one yeah. yes. it's quickly becoming my favorite is it's just now in this new edition. I haven't ever put it in my other books because I didn't, I didn't realize how valuable it was until I started coaching the hand speed change. And, um, this, and, and this drill, I call it shark fin drill. And you just put a kickboard between your thighs like you would a pull boy. And then you swim regular freestyle. But every time your hand finishes a stroke and comes out of the water, you have to tap the kickboard behind you. And um, I mean, it's, I can go into why I think it's a good drill. I don't know how much you want me to, to go into well, it. Well, actually, I do want you to talk about that a little bit. Because you know why? Back in the day... The master's swim coaches would say, do the shark drill. So it's funny that that's the one that you mentioned. And people, we'd put these kickboards on and, and uh, swim. And, and I understood, you know, the rotation and the flick. But really, I mean, why talk a little bit just about why? Is it the rotation? Is it the finishing your stroke? What is so great about the shark drill? Well, a couple of things. I, I keep finding more and more that I love about it as I do it. One of the major things that I have... Um, just started addressing like you, so what you're going to find is I keep saying this is all something I've just started addressing you know because as I've as I've studied the sport and tried to figure out how do we coach athletes to, to learn the sport I keep learning and it's been really fun so one thing that I just learned while writing uh, the swim speed secret second edition was that when we look at our core so you talked about the word rotation right there and so so we'll go to that word rotation i started really dissecting that and i said okay we think of our core when we think of rotation but our core has to me now it has three parts to it we've got the shoulders as part of our core then we've got the the chest and rib cage kind of our torso and then we've got our hips is the third part and each one of those is doing something differently in terms of you know the what we just kind of clump under the word rotation and so one thing uh, we'll just talk about the shoulders and that's a benefit for shark fin drill is shoulders are not fused. You, you can, I can keep one shoulder still and then move my other shoulder. So, so that's opposite. The hips are different. The hips are pretty much fused. If I'm going to move one hip, the other one's going to go, but not my shoulders. And so in swimming, I'm trying to, um, get the, the message out there that the shoulders should not be acting as one unit. And when we rotate, I see so many people who take rotation as a concept that the shoulders do and they keep it fused. And when one comes up and over the water, the other one's dipping down and they're rotating like this. Um, whereas what an elite swimmer is going to do is one shoulder is going to extend forward and then that other shoulder acts on its own and it lifts the arm up and out of the water. So the shoulders do independent actions and shark fin drill. I love for this because when you're having to tap that kickboard back there, it's teaching you how to take that shoulder that's um, lifting the arm out of the water and it, it kind of pulls your scapula in toward the spine, opens up your shoulder on that side and gets us the, the agility that we need to be able to lift the arm properly out of the water versus someone who's just going to keep their shoulders fused and, and um, kind of, I call it like a little Frankenstein-like move, you know, where they don't know how to separate out actions and find that swimmer's agility. So that's one of my favorite parts now about shark fin drill. And then the hand speed change, it teaches the moments of acceleration. So uh, those, those usually people don't have a problem with, those moments of accelerate on the extension of the stroke and then accelerate the finish. That's where we're accelerating in the stroke. Uh, it's the moments that require slower hand speed, which is the catch moment and then the initial overwater recovery. Uh, but shark fin still, it's very valuable to teach those moments of acceleration too. 
But then those thoroughbreds, you got to half halt them after those moments of acceleration. Then we go to the moments where hand speed slows right after those. So Sharkman doesn't wow. necessarily teach those. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Now that's that. And that's one that I think people can easily visualize and try on their own, right? Because it, because it just by default, having that kickboard there is going to make you, like you said, think about your shoulders in a different way and feel them in a different way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Cool. Is there another one you like, or is that is that is that the one that you're most jazzed about? Well, since we talked about sharks, then the benefit being like the moments of acceleration in a stroke, which happens at extension yeah. and then and then at the finish. Uh, let's see. Um, then we could just go to what the, is uh, other end of the, the spectrum, most, which is okay. Where like does regardless hand speed slow of down level of swimming, and that's uh, what is in terms the, of the if, if you had to say there's the one catch. thing that they so all should focus on every time forward, they get in the pool. And there's where you're accelerating above all. What would that one thing be? And that's when hand speed is. The slowest in the stroke cycle so the drill that really trains that is sculling i mean that's in all my books i've and i skull every single day and one time i, I went to u.s nationals for swimming uh, this was in 2013 i was on the deck trying to find swimmers who would uh, be willing to be photographed for swim speed strokes and so i um i'm walking around the deck and i missy franklin um, I'm sure most of your listeners know who Missy Franklin is, you know, multiple gold medals and world records. And so I just started kind of following her around on the pool deck, mm -hmm. seeing how she warmed up and warmed down and wondering whether I could maybe get her ear and see if she'd be interested. And, you know, that never happened. But I did watch her warming up and warming down. And um, I couldn't believe how much she sculled. I mean, I got so bored watching her skull. I was like, oh, my God, what is she going to stop <laughs> so, um, that's good that's good yeah know. and i know all all elite swimmers love to skull and many triathletes don't really see what the point of it is but if i could just uh encourage them that it's about learning how to control hand speed at the catch so that you can then accelerate hand speed back at the finish you know then that maybe we start to get the science in a way where they go oh so there's there is a purpose to doing this drill so you know sculling out front obviously you never pull your hands back you just always keep them out front there and there's no no pulling back at that moment so um yeah. position is great Great. Um, well, so let's zoom out a little bit and um, from swim technique and just talk about um, like your career and your transition from being a swimmer to a triathlon or triathlete. Um, you know, what was the impetus to do it? And, you know, it sounds like uh, how difficult was it for you to pick up running and cycling? Did you do that through your youth and through, you know, did you compete in those sports? Um, growing up? Uh, definitely not cycling. Running, I was on the track team in high school, but I'd just do like the, I'd miss the first month because I'd have US, I'd have the junior nationals for swimming. So I, I couldn't really start the run training until those were over. So I'd run for about two months out of the year with my high school team. And um, then in college, I jogged because I'm Italian. I'm, I'm like five foot two and a half. Italian. And so, you know, as I've already said, I try to get my jeans over my thighs and hips, you know, that's always been my, my thing I'm paranoid about. So um, a college girl, sometimes we're battling our weight, you know, and especially for performance, you know, and, and my coach saying, hey, you know, if you want to be at race weight, you can't eat five dinner rolls, you know, with your salad tonight kind of thing. So I started running in college just to keep you know, about, about three times a week, I'd run for about 20 minutes just to keep my legs and stuff in a little better fitness. Uh, so, but I, I swam um, through the age of 27. I didn't make my first Olympic team until 27. 
And so I had stayed in the sport way longer than most people do and that I ever thought I would. So when I stopped swimming after 96, I never, ever thought I'd do another day of competition in my life. I had no goals for triathlon. In fact, I bought a camper and I drove the country uh, doing swim clinics in 1997 and 1998. I was literally like a truck driver and I, <laughs> I was eating like Wendy's and Taco Bell. And I noticed, honestly, I did a 180 in my health. I, I was just not exercising. So I heard about a triathlon. And in 1998, I said, I better sign up for something like this um, because otherwise I can't believe how unhealthy I'm getting. So that's how I ended up starting to get into triathlon. And when I did the first local race in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, that's, I lived near there. Um, the gentleman who was the race director, Lou Kidder, he saw me racing in that. <laughs> he was the one to approach me and say, I, Hey, who's coaching you? And I said, no one's coaching me. And, and he, he said, well, I'd love to. And I'm like, Mr. I'm just doing this to lose a few pounds kind of a thing. But he convinced me to come to their local track workouts at University of Michigan, where they had a, a group of women who would do a track workout, then go get coffee. So I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. It'll keep me exercising. And uh, then before I knew it, um, I just was in love with the sport. And, you know, I ended up taking it pretty seriously because Lou said, I really think you have potential, like maybe to even make the Olympic team. Had it not been for Lou putting that thought in my mind, I would have never pursued triathlon, you know, at all. I, and that's the same with when I ended up going to pentathlon. I, I never came up with that idea. So my whole sporting career after swimming was people who approached me and put an idea in my head and said, I think you could be good. And I, you know, I guess I'm thankful for that, but, um, but when, but when I did start triathlon, swimming and running were extremely hard to pick up. I know that I constantly was injured running. I had shin splints uh, all the time. And I also had an IT band issue the first year pretty bad until I fixed my run form. And cycling, all I remember is my legs just throbbing every night. <laughs> I was like, this is the hardest sport. <laughs> and of course, I was in draft legal racing. And so you can't get dropped. And when you're going up a hill and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't have the cycling legs that these girls have yet. Lou would say, I'm here. I don't care if you don't think you're going to run five feet of that 10 K run. Do not let them. If you have to give a hundred percent on that bike, you've got to learn to stay uh, on their wheel. Yeah. You know, and this was the first, first book, you know, Sheila, races. You, you have so anyway, yeah, it was, it was an interesting bands. start. And uh, he was and a, so can you just talk great a with female athletes. Um, why you, would have you know, he always showed he cared about me more than my racing. And I think Does that's so important. Is it a strength session? Awesome. Um, what about, um, you know, what was, like, did you have a general plan of attack in a triathlon because you were such a strong swimmer? Did you try to get the lead in a swim and just hold on? Or, like, what, like, or did it depend upon your competitors? Yeah, one second. Could I answer that? Sure. Just some, yeah. Oh, it's okay. You guys can come in. Oh, sure. Okay. No problem. <laughs> so someone was getting a little poor at the clubhouse room. Okay. So, uh, no worries. I... Um, yeah, so I mean, we, you know, did you did you rely on the strength of being a, a strong swimmer and then just kind of hold on, or did it depend upon who you were competing against, or kind of what was your general strategy of attack, or did it go, was it race by race kind of? Oh thing? no, I always had the same strategy of attack, and it, it had to be based on my strengths, and um, it was a horrid way to have to race to be a swimmer is the, is the worst. Like, I, I wish I was a runner <laughs> who could just you know, draft off the swim and the bike and then crush everybody. But I was the opposite of that. So my strategy was um, 
you know, I really trained hard in the swim to be able to go out the first two or 300 meters with a really strong six beat kick. My rate of turnover was a pretty quick tempo. I mean, I, I probably shot out um, off the start at probably about um, 80, between 85 and 90% effort because to be honest with you, I just wanted to demoralize the competition. I did not want them to be thinking they could even hang on my feet at all. And now granted, these are girls who I really, really enjoyed off the race course, you know, like, you know, I was bridesmaid and Laura Bennett's wedding, Laura and Greg Bennett's, you know, we were all very good friends, but when you're on the race course, it is, you know, everybody trying to apply their own strategy out there. So, um, so as long as I could just get that little break on the swim in the first two or 300 meters, then I could settle in a little bit more and, and try and grow the lead a little bit but I just wanted to come out with it. And, and I, always, I always hoped Barb Lindquist would be there coming out with me or Loretta Harrop or Nikki Hackett, who were strong swimmers, or Laura Bennett, if she was on her game that day. Um, you wanted a couple of the strong swimmers to be on your feet, but you didn't want the main pack there. And so then the next part of the strategy was get out of the water. And the same kind of attitude to start off the bike was, all right, there's a pack of maybe 15 or 20 girls who is 30 seconds behind us, and uh, that's they, they're going to want to catch us. There's maybe two of us or up to four of us, two to four of us up here. So we have to demoralize them pretty quickly here on this 40K bike. So we would just hammer the first, you know, 5K to 8K of the bike until we heard the splits, like the coaches always give the splits, and they'd say, okay, you're 30 seconds ahead of the pack, and then uh, the next loop you come around, you might hear you're 34 seconds ahead of the pack. And so you're, they're still working. They're still trying. But then now they've, this happened every single time. The pack the mentality always stayed the same. There would be a few girls in the pack who would work hard. And then, a lot, and then other girls who would never come up to the front. And I knew every single time, as long as we kept the pressure on, um, those few girls who were working would get really upset that the other girls weren't. And then they'd say, forget it. And they'd sit up and I called it the pop. And I knew like, I don't know, about 8K into the race, the pop would happen. And then all of a sudden a 34 second lead, you know, the next lap you come around, you hear it's a minute and five seconds. And, you know, now, now it's just, okay, how can we try to build this every lap here? So, cause you got like a, back then, you know, um, you had Carol Montgomery, she, she made the, the Canadian Olympic triathlon team. And she also made their 10 K team for track and field. And she could, she could pop off a 32 minute 10 K, you know, and she, she was a stud, but she would be in the third pack back, but you needed a good three minute lead on Carol Montgomery sometimes coming off the bike. So we still worked the bike hard all the way through, but it was really that first five to eight K that we just tried to put our heads down and make them know there's, there's no chance that you have to catch us. And that. So it was, a, it was a bit of an interesting strategy where you had to really go out of your zone, your comfort zone for a couple minutes to 10 minutes and then try to settle in to what you'd want to be in. And then you'd have to go out of that again. And, um, but I liked that style of racing. It kept it very mentally engaging for me. So it was, it was physically exhausting. It probably took a toll on my heart over the years. That's <laughs> I don't put my heart rate too high anymore. <laughs> I liked it when I was having good days. It felt good. Awesome. I think one of the most impressive things is that you're 5'2 and you swam in the Olympic in the Olympics for swimming. I just can't really get past that. Because really, think about it. The really, right? The really good, really good Olympic swimmers 
successful Olympic swimmers, well, they're all successful, but um, are really tall, <laughs> really lanky. They are, they are, you know, I always feel on land, like I, they're very tall and I'm like, wow, you guys are big, but yeah. I never felt, um, I never felt small in the water for some reason, stroke length. And so in my new yes. book, I give a little, in the appendix of the uh, second edition of Swim Speed Secrets, I do an appendix and one section of that is about hope, hope for smaller swimmers. And uh, I say the distance per stroke, the, the water doesn't care how tall you are. You can still look at the distance per stroke other athletes are getting, and we can still get that same distance per stroke. I really believe that. Um, so I'm trying to break that little paradigm. I never felt small in the water. Yeah, and I love that you're trying to break that paradigm because I think it's a myth um, that I'm 5'8", and like Elizabeth is 5'2", and I, we've always joked over the years of how the tall people just tend to, I, yeah, so anyway, it's just really interesting to me, and I'm sure that some of the listeners are really, I think sometimes they get in their own head, and they're like, well, I'm only five foot, I'm four nine, how can I swim as fast as somebody like, you know, of course, I'll say like a Michael Phelps or something who has natural wingspan, so I'm glad that you're trying to break that paradigm, because I agree with you, there are some fantastic shorter swimmers out there, especially in the triathlon world, because they've got great turnover, yeah. Yeah. really great turnover. Yep, and that's why we need to understand the what makes for a great swimmer and then once you know it you can pick your strategy how am i gonna am i gonna do this through turnover you know I mean, there's more to obviously than just picking one little thing like that but as long as we start to understand the sport i think people will say okay there's no reason why i can't you know keep up here absolutely well then you've been so helpful Sheila. i, I want to end with a question because you talked about um, pentathlon and picking up you know uh, equestrian events and fencing and what was the third thing that you had to pick up shooting or shooting, what yeah Pistol shooting, yeah. I mean, as at age thirty-six, is that what you yeah, said? That's when I started, yeah. And and we have a lot of people coming into the triathlon, you know. Um, and I granted, I realize that you know, shooting a pistol and riding a bike aren't exactly the same thing, but it is, you know, especially getting comfortable on the bike and comfortable going fast, and you know, and drafting and that kind of thing. And so, just talk a little bit about the ups and downs of learning a new skill when you feel like your brain's already kind of hardwired. <laughs> yeah, that happened a lot, and there are a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. You can say, yeah. think of so many times on the horse where I'd be training with, um, there'd be like 12 and 13 year old girls in the group where I was, we're learning to do a jumping, you know, some jumping skills. And <laughs> I remember one day a little 12 year old girl looked at me and says, your form's not very good. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> 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 You're always getting so opinion on how you did and I think some it's you got to have that thick skin and I don't have thick skin I am very sensitive I get my feelings hurt really easily um and so that was the downtime I'm not that 12 year old girl that's kind of a funny story but you know um media they they can analyze a performance that you did that maybe didn't go great and just make you be like wow you know um, it's not like I'm getting paid a million bucks to do this. You don't have to rip me to shreds. So, Because when I was learning pentathlon, I had a couple of um, competitions early on that went well. And I had a couple of disaster competitions like where I scored zero on the equestrian portion. Like the horse literally wouldn't jump a single jump because I didn't know how to, didn't know all the skills yet. And, uh, and that even happened in triathlon. I had some really bad races right off the bat. And I just remember people really analyzing it and and you have to believe in the direction you're going so even though I knew I had a bad race too I'm like you, you didn't need to tell me that that didn't go well but 
Um, I know my overall path and I know, like I said earlier, I know why I'm working on what I'm working on. And uh, with Pentathlon, I wasn't sure I would have enough time to learn it all. I thought maybe there would be just enough time to learn it. Um, but in general, like with swimming and triathlon, I said, I, I'm, I know what I'm working and I will get there. So I just have to let that, um, opinion of other people or make it make me feel like oh maybe I'm not going to get this I have to let it wash past me and um and stay on my plan here so and then you'll have the good days that make you feel okay good it's it's turning out but I was always afraid always afraid of well maybe you know I don't when the the day of reckoning comes here to make the Olympic team or for age group athletes qualify for the world championships team you know sometimes you just have that one key race and you do need a good of good, a bit of good luck even on those days so I, I've had many races where I was fully prepared but you know something just didn't go right and that is sport as well you, you can be ready for the race of your life but still have to be willing to say I don't really know how it's gonna go but I'm still gonna be Sheila when I walk away from this race and I, I'm gonna have a cup of coffee or have a glass of wine tonight or whatever and I will be a happy person and I live to fight another day so in the very end I guess I'll end with I always knew I'd get my fair share of good days and I knew I'd have my fair share of bad days and um, I was very good at that in sport I could ride that wave I'm not so good at that in life but in sport I'm very good at that <laughs> riding that <wave. laughs> that's great that's great well uh, Liz or Jenny is there anything else you want to ask her or say or um... no but thank you and I know the listeners will be thrilled to hear Sheila because every most of the triathletes if they've been around for a while heard of Sheila, know of Sheila, and I do think it's impressive, the accomplishments and learning, learning, I think learning like what you just talked about, about the pentathlon, picking that up at 36, and a lot of these athletes are coming into the sport at 40 in triathlon, there's just really um, some really great kind of motivating things, I think, for the triathletes that will be listening, so thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And we will share. Do you want to tell us if people are, do you travel around the country with your clinics or how does it work? Well, it's kind of an interesting time. So by the way, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate that. And um, it's been a real a lot of fun talking with you guys. I don't even know where you're located. Where is like, where are you in the nice sunny flower patch? Uh, <laughs> I'm in the, uh, Western suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, thank God. I'm, I'm in Chicago too. North northern suburbs. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I'm and I'm out in Denver. I live in Denver, Colorado. Okay. So. Um, well, I have been traveling a whole whole lot, but I just had a unique year. Um, I just I found out I have a knack for caretaking. Um, I, my father was 94 and he just passed away. And then my best friend had brain cancer and she died two days after my dad died. Oh and God. Louis body dementia, and I'm the only one who can kind of help her with navigating, like finding. Um, home health care and stuff like that. So I've been in a caretaking role, not by um, choice, but it just happened uh, in the last couple of months. And so I, it's really weird. And I'm glad I wrote this second edition of the book because I think I'm going to switch. I might be switching and kind of focusing more on going into caretaking for older people. And um, mm -hmm. I might do a few clinics here and there, but no, you know, the book is more what I hope uh, does well and it gets out there. So I really appreciate you having me on clinics. I'll, I'll, yeah. I don't know what I'll do on that. We'll see, sure. I love them, but it's not going to be like it has been. So no. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And, and congratulations. I mean, on, I mean, I hope the transition goes well and we'll definitely share your website. And um, I mean, I think that there's a lot to be gained from 
really just um, reading that, reading it, taking a couple things to work on, not 10 things to the pool, like one or two things per workout, and just thinking about it. I mean, I'm, I'm already excited to get back in the water, and that's not usually my MO, so um, that's awesome. Great. Well, um, hopefully I will get out to Colorado, and maybe we'll be, do a clinic out there since Bello Press is in Boulder. So That'd be fun. Awesome. Take care, Sheila. Thanks so much. You're awesome. Thanks so much. You guys take care, too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.